Good evening and happy holidays. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight we've got a special show for you, uh, one that's a blast from the past on a few levels tonight. Uh, to start out, we welcome first-time guest Rich McCormick, previously a PC gamer and presently a reporter for The Verge. Hi, guys. We also welcome back Idle Thumbs Nick Brecken. Hey, everybody. So tonight we're going to be talking about Star Wars Rebellion from Cool Hand Interactive, uh, which was also known as Supremacy in the UK. And this is actually a game that I have a little bit of history with on this show, because I think I brought it up on my very first episode of Three Moves Ahead, all the way back in episode 46. It came up in the context of disappointing games, the type of games that like fired a torpedo into the broadsides of a, an otherwise healthy franchise. Uh, and I remember being pretty harsh in my description of the game, which is understandable because Rebellion was one of my biggest disappointments as a Star Wars fan. Uh, it was ugly, the battles were ugly and simplistic. Uh, basically, in my eyes, it was just a garbage game wearing a Star Wars skin. Uh, but then a few months ago, uh, I was having sort of a late night Twitter conversation with, with these guys right here. And I learned there are people who have completely different memories of rebellion, uh, that sort of made me question, uh, which reality, uh, I was living in at the time. Uh, so, so Rich, Nick, let me give you three choices here, uh, to start out is rebellion trash, decent, but flawed or secretly genius. Can we go with all three somehow, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Is that is all of the above? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Uh, so Secret third option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's probably where we'll end up settling, but why don't we talk a little bit about what Rebellion is? Because I think at the time, it was a game that I hadn't seen... I hadn't seen other games that, that really worked like it uh, before. Now playing it, it actually reminds me a lot of a Paradox strategy game uh, in, in some ways. Mm. Uh, but, uh, Rich, why don't you, why don't you talk us through, like, you know, when, when you're playing Rebellion, like, what are you getting up to? Like, like what is, what is Rebellion? So for me, I mean, obviously coming from the UK, uh, it was supremacy for me. And I think like, obviously hometown bias as well, but I feel like that name makes more sense because, you know, Rebellion kind of sells it as being, you play as a Rebellion, you escape from the Empire. But supremacy, the idea of kind of taking over the galaxy the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I loved about, I loved about it. The thing that I liked about it when I was, I was young and still do, is the kind of the asymmetry that exists. Like you start the game as either the the rebellion or the empire, and when you start, your kind of objectives are very different. You start just after the beginning, or so just after the end of A New Hope. So the Death Star has been destroyed, but you are still on Yavin and Yavin Four, and the Empire knows you're there. So if you hang around too long, your planet's going to probably get the entire might of the Imperial fleet turning up. So you have to get out, find a new base, set up shop in some other corner of the galaxy. And then if you play as the Imperials, you have almost the opposite thing to do. You are set on Coruscant, on a capital planet. You have a vast, well not a vast fleet, but you have enough of a fleet at the beginning that you can kind of, you're fairly easy start for the Empire. But the difference is, like there's a very different kind of, of understanding of how to actually play the game. You either have to you've got two impossible tasks you've either got to hide from this vast might this fist that's going to come and crush you like find a tiny little mouse hole in the corner of the galaxy to start again or you've got to like find this mouse in your house that you, it could be anywhere in the galaxy and you've got to try and crush it down and i think the idea of you know completely turning over the who's in charge of the galaxy or maintaining it through the empire but becoming supremacy is the most important thing 
it's that asymmetric start that I think is one of the most interesting things about it still. I think a lot of games who try and do asymmetry will, you know, use a different board or give you a completely different kind of start in, in the game. Whereas this uses the same board, gives you the same galaxy, but gives you very, very different start in life. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I've got notes here for this podcast and uh, right at the top is just the asymmetry of it. Um, so Rich, I completely agree. I think there's something to um, to be said for games that, uh, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this quite a bit, that are uh, very unpolished in their attempt to to balance, right? Like um, actually on Idle Thumbs this week, somebody wrote it and, and kind of um, bringing up the topic of is there too much polish um, in in the industry right now as as it, as it pertains to balance? And I actually brought up Star Wars Battlefront as an example of a game that um, in its beta form was incredibly unbalanced and therefore more interesting. And I actually feel like Rebellion, um, or, or Supremacy rather, uh, we'll go with the UK title, is, is, is the perfect example of a game that I think if you had thrown this through the industry right now, it would have been polished um, in terms of its, in terms of its symmetry to an extent that would have made it fairly uninteresting. Um, the, the modern equivalent of this game, Petroglyphs, um, Empire at War, uh, took a lot from Rebellion, probably more than, you know, most people would probably realize. Um, and, uh, and yet the balance of it is so, is so perfect that it just comes away feeling, um, having none of the feeling of, of, of kind of what Rich described, which is that, you know, I want it to feel like 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 I imagined these two sides would feel um, when I watched the, when I watched the movies. You know, like the, the, this is not a a symmetrical relationship, and it in in a strategy game it shouldn't be um, shouldn't be uh, portrayed as such, right? Um, I think uh, also Rob, when you were talking about um, the similarities to a uh, uh, you know to a Crusader Kings or something along those lines, and I think when you have a certain scenario in a uh, starting scenario in those games. Such as I'm, I'm going to play as Ireland within, <laughs> within mm -hmm. the you, you know middle uh, Middle Ages. Um, that is that is you know fairly close to what it feels like playing as uh, as the as the rebellion in this in this case. You know, um, whereas playing as the Empire is more akin to like playing as the Holy Roman Empire. Um, and it it I, I think it's 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 interesting uh, first and foremost because of that because of that uh, relationship. Hmm. They have almost kind of different like. Different kind of playstyles as well. Like obviously, different Crusader Kings is another good example. But the difference between playing as the Holy Roman Empire, where you have to, you know, you've got things to like fires to stamp down every corner, you've got to consider every part of your empire. That's playing as the empire, where you have to, you have to actually think about, you know, how do I, how do I manage this vast empire? Whereas the rebellion has a lot more focused goals, where you know, get out, find a new home, reassess, and re restart everything. You know, you can do that if you are some some minor duke in Ireland, and you can do that if you are a ragtag band of, of rebels as well. So. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I, I was a little disappointed, both then and now, uh, that for me, I kind of wish the the asymmetry was, was maybe stepped up a little bit, but maybe the game couldn't have sustained that, because I think what surprised me is how quickly things can actually get away from you as, as the Empire. Um, <clears throat> you know, like... When I when I think of the the empire's military position, uh, you know, as opposed to the rebellion, you know, obviously you think about you know the the empire has like the uh, the executor, 
and then a bunch of Imperial Star Destroyers that just hang around it like this cloud of gnats, but the gnats <laughs> are giants. Uh, and you don't quite get that feeling in Rebellion, uh, where, where you've got, where the Imperial fleet is like, it's a couple Star Destroyers, like, scattered around the galaxy, but you don't really have that ability uh, to just be this huge, like, you know, clenched fist uh, that can immediately, like, smash down the Rebellion. You don't even control that many planets. Uh, so I think that was a bit of a turnoff for me because it, it sort of felt like very quickly the game does start to push the the two sides to sort of a an equilibrium uh, position, but that might be a little unfair because I will say, as 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 the empire, uh, you, you can mobilize for war very very quickly. Uh, you can start churning out those those giant fleets uh, very fast and. Your, the, the ships you're fighting with as the Empire certainly seem a lot better uh, than the, the ships the Rebels start with. The Rebels are flying around in Corellian Corvettes, uh, and the Empire can be churning out various classes of Star Destroyer. But in the game I was playing most recently, and this is where I started to suspect, like, maybe I maybe I completely missed the boat on, on this game. Uh, the game I was playing most recently as the Empire started turning into... Uh, it reminded me a lot of things I've read about the uh, the French colonial war in Indochina, uh, you know. So in, in in you saw the first Vietnamese Vietnam War, I guess, where I have these massive battle forces that can't be beaten in the field, um, but there's not enough of them to go around, and my opponent keeps sort of racing in, destroying infrastructure with like things like planetary bombardments. Uh, or sending saboteurs in to destroy my production facilities or destroy newly produced uh, military units uh, and then vanish and then vanishes and so it's costing you like you know time resources uh, and if as the empire you play it safe and you're sort of trying to adopt a clear and hold strategy the rebellion just takes over more and more of the galaxy uh, really fast like it, it, it's sort of it's like wildfire. Uh, so th as the Empire, you kind of are, have this tension that, that I really liked between, on the one hand, you want to play to your strength. You want to have these big battle fleets together that can just sort of club down anything in their path. But the Rebellion's not going to give you those fights. And in the meantime, they're going to keep sort of being everywhere you aren't. Uh, and so it made for a really fascinating and and kind of delightfully infuriating uh, tension uh, in terms of the strategic dynamic in this game. I definitely think that it's one of the few games that kind of gets the idea of guerrilla warfare across. I mean, in most strategy games, you end up having you have you know in Civilization you've got so many so many like units by the end of it that you just it's too much mental management to like have them doing separate things. You just put them in a giant pile and you roll across the map. And as the Empire, that's what like you say is what you want to do because that's what the Empire does. They put all their ships went together and they turn up over a planet and they scare the planet or blow it up or destroy everything. The rebels just fly away. And as you noted as well, the, the ships you get at the beginning for the Empire, you can, like, you can start putting Star Destroyers on the field pretty early. But you don't get much. You don't get any Mon Calamari cruisers until fairly late as, as, the, as the rebels. So you have to use speed. You have to you know, find a planet that is, is weakened and then send in other agents to, to kind of turn it or just smash down some stuff and then get out again, which is you know, for the first half of the game, most games at least, you have to rely on that kind of actual different kind of warfare through the rebellion. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is that, um, you know, in terms of the way that it conveys the feeling of playing as as the Empire or the Rebellion, um, you know, uh, Richard just mentioned the, the Death Star being able to blow up planets and such. And I think, you know, uh, in addition to the Rebels um, 
kind of portraying guerrilla warfare in a really interesting way. I feel like when you play as the Empire, I'm getting um, kind of a different uh, feel from from the, all of these acts that you commit than than even the films give you, and, and probably a more realistic feel. I think when you blow up a planet in this game, or even just attack it from orbit, um, it I, I don't know when I'm when I'm playing this game, I actually feel really sinister playing as the empire and you sort of get into that uh role-playing aspect while you're playing and i think it's really effective like i think more than any star wars game when i have darth vader um hovering above a planet with 10 star destroyers and i'm just leveling it uh i don't know it's fleshing out that world in a way that is really interesting to me well and then i do love uh so and this is something we'll, we'll get into more uh but all the all the various characters have the ability to complete these different missions and so there's this entire other game uh in inside of inside of rebellion uh where where you're sort of playing around with characters you remember from the movie but vader is one of the most powerful like military uh leaders in in the game like everyone else's stats tend to be like on a band from like zero to a hundred and an extraordinary commander will will sort of be north of a hundred uh vader's combat skill i think is like 255 uh it's it's just absolutely ridiculous but he has this one ability uh where he can go in and uh suppress a su- suppress a rebellion basically he can he can suppress a, an, uh, an uprising but i love the, the little graphic for the suppression action uh is is the is the tiananmen, tiananmen square tank <laughs> tank man photo but with an ewok standing in front of an atat <laughs> yeah no that's pretty great yeah it, it feels there there's sort of that communication of like the the, the sinister uh aspect of the empire but then also I, I do like how it gives you that feeling of you, you know like there's that there's that scene in the new hope right where where leia sort of tells tarkin uh you know the tighter you you, you the tighter you uh you you squeeze uh the more planets will will slip out of your grasp or, or something to that effect mm-hmm. and this game sort of illustrates that pretty vividly uh because th- the game does let you win hearts and minds and ultimately that's that's what you want you want planets to be in your coalition and because they want to be there uh you can sort of brute force it and send in occupying armies but generally you want to win a war of opinion the problem is uh, doing things like bombarding a planet to soften it up for your assault troops absolutely destroys the goodwill of that planet as shots go astray, start taking out civilian structures. Suddenly that population, even if there was a, a sizable uh, contingent that kind of wanted to be uh, part of your faction, uh, that, that public opinion will swing away from you. And so the cost of holding that planet's increasing as you're using sort of the stick, uh, and it's going to take a lot longer uh, for the carrot then to have a good effect and let you sort of uh, undeploy uh, from that planet, which is, again, like a, a cool thing. Like these are things, there, there aren't many great games about insurgency or counterinsurgency uh, on the PC, and this is a topic we've, we've brought up a lot on the show. And I'm sort of surprised how many of the things I've always wanted and things I really enjoy are, you know, damn, they're, they're at, they were actually in rebellion this entire time. It's interesting as well. I still remember the first time I, I built the Death Star, like the first time on the first game I had when I actually built it, because you know, I played it when I was fairly young and never had the patience to kind of actually get it through and then roll it all the way across the galaxy, destroying like a planet that was causing problems to me. And I was like, this will definitely, because I've seen the movie. 
if you destroy a planet, that brings everybody in line with the Empire because they're scared of, of the Death Star. But then you destroy the planet and all the planets around them go, uh, we don't like you anymore because you just destroyed a planet. And that kind of also makes sense. Like this kind of misguided idea of Tarkin and Vader and the Emperor that if you destroy a planet, everybody in the galaxy will be like, oh, I don't want you to destroy our planet rather than actually go, wait a minute, the Empire is probably pretty evil at this point if they're destroying entire worlds for fun. And does does the Death Star have a local effect or is it galaxy-wide? From what I remember. Oh, man. I local? Think I think it's system-wide. Oh, yeah. Like, I think it's the the, the, the system, um, the, the region. But it's, it's fairly yeah. extreme. Like, like, all the bars at the bottom that show, you know, bright green if you're, if you're Imperial, will just, like, flip completely almost back to being red. And you have to deal with uprisings across the thing, across the system, through planets that, you know, were previously completely safe. So if you do it, it is, it's the kind of the you either have to have the galaxy in the iron grip in the first place or you have to kind of be aware that that this is going to cause major problems and it will send a lot of things to the, a lot of a lot of planets a lot of areas to the to the rebellion as well yeah i mean i i love how um you, you know often with with strategy games uh the grand strategy um i'll i'll you know you start the game with sort of a private goal you know i'm going to play as the empire and I'm going to see if I can blow up every planet or I'm going to play as the empire and I'm going to try to be as, as benevolent as possible or, or what have you. And I love um, how frequently this game subverts my own expectations for, for, for what is going to occur when I, when I attempt to do those things. Like, I think, I don't know if I've ever had a game go mm. quite the way that I wanted it to. And, and it does, it does, um, you know, I think Rob, I, I think you're probably right in that it, it you know, generally speaking, you know, early mid game, things start to to kind of settle down and and fall into particular uh, patterns. Um, but I, I do think that um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just because I played this game so much over the last fifteen years. It's kind of crazy actually to think about how much I played this game. Um, I've just started to do the strangest possible playthroughs that I can. You know, uh, can I just? Um, as the rebellion, you know, not even touch the inner worlds and just, uh, and that's actually another thing we should talk about too, is this game is very different depending on whether you play, um, sort of a small galaxy map versus a large, you know, the huge galaxy map. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it really, I think when you're, when you're playing on the small galaxy map, it, it, it does kind of, um, well, one, it's much more manageable, um, and, and, and things kind of become uh, more predictable, but um, the large galaxy map is 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 an arduous task, um, particularly because this game doesn't make it easy for you to manage things on a large scale. No. But then also, I I do think that's where a lot of the fun is found for me now, having played it for so many years and just just having so many you know so much you know breadth, uh, just you know dozens and dozens of these planets, and it, it just really does allow for you to do some really strange things like bulk up, you know, this hidden sector. And yeah. then, you know, I remember one playthrough in the last few months that I that I hit where I, I just I tried to hide the majority of my rebellion for for, you know, just, uh, you know, years and years, you know, turns and turns and turns. And I think, um, you know, I, I just remember the moment that that, you know, Darth Vader showed up and <laughs> just the AI just descended on my my little bastion. And uh, it was just madness. You know, I was crushed um, and it was after so much buildup, I think. You know, there, there's. I'm still finding, um, uh, kind of, I, I guess, seeds to this game. You know, years and years later, because it's just so large and complex. It's very strange. 
I remember the first time I think I one of the first times I played it, I, like I'd either forgotten or wasn't just kind of wasn't really aware that you had to get off Yavin at the beginning, and just being like building up this fleet and being like, okay, I can I can do this, I can, I can reassess and push back against the Empire, and then realizing that wait a minute, they know where I am, and they just turned up on the front doorstep with yeah, just a lot of star destroyers and just completely annihilate me immediately. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because actually every experience I had uh, with the with the rebels and especially those early experiences, I did the same thing where like. On day one, because it sort of ticks day by day. On day one, I'm like, oh boy, I better get the hell out of here because the Empire knows where they, where where I am. But nothing happens because the Death Star has just been destroyed. Like, there's nothing out there. They don't really have anything they can attack you with. And so it's really it's it happens really fast if if you're a rebel to like sort of lose that mindset, right? Like you sort of fall into the mindset that leads to stupid things like building a base on Hoth. And thinking that was going to be a permanent solution exactly. to like waging a war, where you're like, "Oh man, they're never going to find me here, so I'm just going to make myself comfortable and build up, and then I can sort of treat this as a conventional fight." So I just need to like turtle up, hide, uh, you know, and then sort of expand in unknown territories, and then yeah, I'll be golden, and that works right up until you remember the Empire's playing the game too. And yeah, they know you know know where you are at the start, or eventually they figure out where you are, and they have the ability to come down on you, uh, you know, like a bag of hammers. And I guess that's the other thing, too, that I would say is that, and I know that this is this is fairly typical with, with most grand strategy games, but I guess, you know, in comparison to something like um, uh, Empire of War, right, where the scale of this game can become so extreme, um, I guess, I, you know, I, I remember the first few times I played this game and I thought, well, okay, you know, this is the sort of thing where I'll probably end up with, you know, a fleet that feels kind of like the size of of something in the film, and I'll end up, you know, it'll just sort of naturally funnel you down into this very um, uh, cinematic version of events. But that's so the opposite of what happens with the, with this game. You end up with a fleet of you know hundreds of star destroyers if you play for long enough, and if you if you know if you haven't if things haven't sort of resolved themselves, um, and it 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 I just I. Personally, I just really, you know, that was one of the few things that um, caught me early was was just the absurdity of of how crazy this universe could feel. And in a way, that's kind of, you know, prior to the prequels and, and kind of uh, in that space of of uh, post original trilogy stuff. When I thought about Star Wars, I was sort of applying like my own logic to it and going, well, yeah, this 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 is what it must have felt like. Like there must have been hundreds of Star Destroyers out there. There must have been this massive scale of this universe. And uh, I love that it lets you just kind of go with it and just churn out so much, um, so many fleets and, and just, you know, things are just going on everywhere. It's just it's just a very chaotic game. Well, the, the timing here is important as well, uh, because, yeah, this is this is before the the new trilogy before. The, well, the, the then new trilogy, uh, the the episodes one through three and really rebellion, uh, probably more than any other game except for like TIE Fighter. Uh, is really a Timothy Zahn novel-based uh, Star Wars game. As much as it is about the movies, it's also sort of built around those those, those early expanded universe novels, especially the ones from from Timothy Zahn, where like important characters and resources uh, that the that the Imperials in particular have, uh, you know, are are things introduced in that in that series. Uh, so you've got the you know, Nogri, uh, you know, death commandos uh, that you can employ that are these like super, these super elite commandos that only the Empire has access to. Uh, you have, 
you know, you you have special commanders like Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, but more more importantly, I think that it also has this this sort of sense of grounding that I think that ironically Star Wars itself kind of lost with the with with the episodes one through three, where it kind of didn't make sense and it kind of all became vague uh, mumbo jumbo about the force and destiny and everything. And this is actually much more of a game about like concrete realities of like power and strategy and military resources and politics, uh, which is which is really really cool and kind of singular in in Star Wars gaming. It's like that, that timing is why it's hugely important because it, it switches from the rebellion being this you know maybe maybe a group of people that you should probably the empire should probably crush at some point, but they're not really causing that many problems. They're hitting it a few ba- a few bases here and there. And then they destroy, you know, its biggest toy, they destroy the Death Star. So that is the switch from, you know, try and crush one rebellion to essentially galactic mobilization for total war, which explains why you have hundreds of Star Destroyers suddenly coming off, off you know, the Kuat Drive Yards, shipyards, because you have to, you have to kind of mobilize for total war. And it's how you, I mean, you see the, the, the characters that you get, the characters that appear, especially for the Empire, tend to be kind of almost no-name generals. I mean, you get people like Dala, who gets a books written about a before and after God, but then a the lot worst. of them are just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just a lot of like like the names that you have i mean you get like admiral ozzel and like nida and people like that who are just you know just imperial officers rather than any kind of major super cool characters but, but, but you, you realize... need but you need that long gray line of imperial officers exactly because yeah. you, you it turns out you you can't theirs is not a war of like one or two brilliant commanders it's a war of dozens of fleets out there who just need some just need some schmuck in, in charge of it to give it some sort of bonus and maybe do some operations out there yeah some of fresh out of the academy and it's like you read the backstories and people now i mean like they just pretty much he went to the academy on carida and then he came out and he became a star destroyer commander and it's, there's nothing kind of exciting about them but they are just you need to have them because it is now you're in total war this is the galaxy out war as opposed to being you know just trying to crush a small rebellion at the beginning I want to talk about the, the, the point about the map size, because this is actually hugely important. I think another reason this ends up being a great insurgency game. So the thing that doesn't really change is the fact that uh, there's this inner ring of, of core worlds that are that are all mapped and they're all known. Uh, but as you expand the universe, it's mostly the outer ring, right, that gets bigger. It's, it, it's largely unknown territories is, is where the map expands. Is that, is that correct? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, you gain, yeah. I think you throw, maybe throw in some extra sectors in, like, you know, some worlds that you've, you've heard of or heard of if you read the books, but heard of before. But it's mainly the outer rim that expands, yeah. Yeah, and so it creates this, it, it creates this really interesting, uh, like, the re- it gives the rebels this sort of take to the hills strategy, uh, that the that this outer ring of sectors is basically completely unmapped uh, to both sides. But for the rebels, that's not a problem because you can just go hiding in there. You can just you know cut and run and start you know going to these other worlds and start building up you know basically an empire uh, that's completely off the grid. Uh, the empire sort of pinned in the middle uh, at the start and all of this is sort of unknown territory and it's you know it's an awfully big swamp they've got to drain in order to sort of sort of pin down the rebellion the rebellion all, always have you know another unknown sector they can retreat to and it's very hard for the empire to sort of stay current on 
you know, first, even to figure out what all is out there, uh, but then second, to sort of keep their information updated uh, as to what the state of play is uh, in these in these unknown sectors. And that gets really interesting because traveling within sectors with fleets and characters is pretty trivial. Uh, they just sort of hop from planet to planet, and it's no big deal. It takes a few days. Transferring forces and characters from one of these sectors to another sector is a very big deal, uh, and those those are travel th- those transit times are like measured in months, and so there's also this 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 element of if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, that can be a very difficult mistake to fix because getting to the place where you you realize belatedly you actually want to be. Uh, isn't you know isn't a case of well I'll just move there. It is I'm going to launch. It's actually it actually reminds me a little bit of um, mm, Neptune's Pride. I uh, it's, it's so funny you say that because I've got that in my notes as well. Yeah, so yeah. Neptune's Pride without the graphic that allows you to see the ship moving in a particular in a right particular direction. Yeah, which which I kind of love, but it has this ships are in hyperspace mm-hmm. and they're sort of trapped there and you can't do anything with them. But the state the state of play can change on the ground while they're traveling. And so like jumping blindly into a sector can be hugely risky because God knows what's going to happen when you get there. Or you could realize that like, you know, you, the place you just left, uh, they, you're the enemy showed up the minute you, the minute after you departed and now you're stuck in hyperspace, can't turn around basically for, for like, you know, 60 days. And that's 60 days that they have the run of the sector. And that's a, that's a really cool element that sort of, the way this, the way traveling between sectors works, and then the fact there's all these sort of outer rim unknown sectors, really gives you the sense of just how vast this battle, this battlefield is, and how it just sort of swallows resources. Yeah, I love the, um, you know, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I guess the the um, the time span of this game, the the sort of clock and the and the pace, I guess, is probably the word I'm looking for. Um, it's very. It feels very unique to me. You know, I mean, there are there are a lot of games that 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 are this, this stretched out, um, but I think the what you describe as in terms of ships taking months to arrive uh, at a particular location, I would say you know ninety percent of the time that doesn't result in anything dramatic, um, but that ten percent where it is just I missed the battle by a day, and because of that, this planet is now leveled. And the empire is gone, and I've I've completely blown it. Um, there are these little dramatic uh, moments that that happen, and I, I I love that stuff. I think it's so well done. Um, and I actually I, I think I do agree with you, Rob. I wasn't quite sure if I did on on whether or not the Neptune's pride, you, you know, kind of trajectory of of fleets um, is a is a detriment not having that um, that as a visual. But I think I do agree with you now that I think about it that 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 not not exactly knowing where ships are is actually more interesting. It, it kind of it gives it this sense of 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 a ship popping out of light speed in the way that it does in the film, where it's just everything hits you all at once, and and then it, it you know they can be gone just as quickly. I think that that stuff is just so interesting to me. I think it's the moment as well when you realize that you as a player can also kind of abuse that because it happens mm-hmm. a lot when you do the empire and you, you see you know, i mean everybody who's played it will get that time when you have a, a, an imperial fleet that could crush anything that it comes across hopping around the, the sector that you're in and the minute you move from a planet a little red ship appears behind you and it's just it levels your planet and then moves on and you're trying to try to squash it but at the same time when you realize like that sensation of frustration is really common in strategy games like you get to the end of you know in any game supreme commander something like that and there's so much to do that 
you have a plan at the beginning and it's not it doesn't necessarily become that much fun anymore because you've got so much to think about and so much kind of on, on your mind you can't can't let it have fun whereas if you if you play as the rebellion properly i guess in inverted commas the idea that you know you're playing it playing it right you are the opposite of that you can almost feel this this you know 1998 ai <laughs> shaking its robotic fist at you going oh i'm trying to catch you and you are hopping around the system with a much smaller fleet just laughing at them like the rebellion should do that's you know that's that's what the rebellion is about they're getting in getting out destroying things and then escaping while like Duff made a force chokes the commander that you just managed to stymie on the way out or or like as the empire like you start abusing things like you realize there's a rebel fleet hopping around a sector uh somewhere and it's cool like the ai does sometimes like it doesn't behave really that randomly like it will do things like it will send a couple raiding fleets into a sector that will cut and run the moment they see a fight they can't win uh but if it's an unguarded planet they'll just sort of ship uh, they'll just sort of sit there and just blast the crap out of it until all its production resources are, are, are gone. And then they'll run away. Uh, but like there are times I realize they're doing that. And I'm like, oh, I know they're here. I can't see them on the map, but I know they're around here. And so I'm just sort of like blindly sending my fleets around. Just hoping to get lucky one of these days, right? We're like, we're going to converge at the same place. Like, I'm going to get there a day before. They're going to pop in, do one of their little raids. And then I'm just going to blast the shit out of them. And that's... You know, hugely satisfying, but, uh, it, you know, a hell of a way to run a war, right? Because, uh, and that's so much of what fighting the, the rebellion is, is uh, just hoping to, to catch these lucky breaks. I also want to say, though, I, I feel like another interesting thing about rebellion is that, that that experience definitely shifts as the game goes on. This is something that I think a lot of strategy games kind of struggle to do, uh, which is sort of the game you're playing at the start is ends ends up sort of being the game you're going to be playing at the very end. Like things don't change that much. The dynamics don't change that much. You're just sort of repeating the same steps uh, with, you know, uh, better units with better stats, uh, basically. But with Rebellion, I kind of feel like that war evolves and changes. Like it starts as this complete... A uh, game of whack-a-mole, or uh, you know, cat and mouse, uh, you know, as as you said at the start, Rich. But I feel like in the mid-game, it starts to shift where the rebellion has unlocked just enough designs for their for their warships, and they probably have just enough infrastructure where they can start fielding fleets that are that are actually dangerous to you. And from there, it it starts taking on this this weird, uh, you know, divided quality where you're still sort of fighting a guerrilla war. But then increasingly, you're also finding yourself in these completely, like, stand-up, you know, line-of-battle mm. uh, military situations. Uh, and that, that, surprise, that, that shift can, can really catch you out. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool that the game changes in that way. I think it fits the fiction in a lot of ways. And, like, the fact that, you know, this is, this is a Star Wars. There's multiple wars across, you know, the old canon and the new canon as well. Like, the impossibility, like, it's hard enough governing a planet governing an entire galaxy is, is almost impossible. And well, it's impossible for, obviously, for the Empire at the end of it. But it, it kind of explains how, how it is, how it could be that impossible. Like, how come this, this, this incredible Sith Lord can't just control the entire galaxy? The answer is because you can't ever stamp down every possible thing, and then eventually people will start to rise up, and they will shift into this kind of military force when they realize that the government isn't the one they want. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually kind of uh, funny that if you, without... <laughs> without spoiling the new film or anything that that 
probably you could do a playthrough of this game, and I'm sure I already have, um, where you, you start as the Rebellion, the Empire sending out their probe droids, and by the end of the game, you're, you know, the tables have completely flipped, and you're trying to find that last Imperial planet, um, and they're on the fringes, and everything is, is you know, completely uh, opposite. Um, mm. I think, you know, part of the way that it evolves, too, is is just by way of, uh, as you said, Rob, the the um, you know the the buildup and and kind of where you invest and and build up your infrastructure. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I play this game, um, you know the AI is actually I think fairly smart in terms of how it kind of keeps its its assets spread. Um, but I find it much easier um, to yes. to sort of sort of build up specific planets. Um, mm-hmm. You know when you when you're when you're building your infrastructure in this game, um, there are sort of multiple levels to each building. And then um, on top of that, each building, uh, you know, acts as a, um, uh, a sort of a multiplier uh, to, to the production limit of, each, of that of that particular planet. And so, so you know, you if, when you have ten um, uh, dockyards uh, that are you know of the highest level on a single planet as the rebellion, you are now all in on that planet, and that completely changes the way that you approach battles and sort of your play style. Um, and you know you make that choice, right? And and it also depends on kind of uh, you know the systems as a as a whole. And because of that travel time, you might say, well, this one planet in this one system is really valuable, but it's not as valuable as sort of building up kind of these moderate um, quality uh, planets in, in this other system because that way you know the travel time between those planets is shorter and. You know, it's just a safer, um, easier, uh, defensible uh, position, um, and so yeah, I think all of those things kind of you know uh, are are uh, are factor in terms of how you um, you know what you end up with you know on each playthrough. But I think that's a good segue into the way this interface works and sort of ways the AI <laughs> might have some advantages. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, th- that's interesting. I think there is an impulse uh, for, for human players to want to concentrate things, because it's easy to remember things like, okay, the Imperial Shipyard's at Bilbringi. Uh That's sort of the, like, in the books, that's sort of the, the main, uh, <clears throat> sh- like, shipyard that's producing the Imperial Battle Fleet. Uh, there's a few shipyards there at the start of the campaign, and there's slots for more. And so I just am like, well, I'm going to build up a, an awesome shipyard there, a great shipyard facility. Uh, and, they'll, and it's cool. Like they can, they can crank out uh, ships really quickly, which is hugely important for getting sort of advanced uh, designs and, and heavier warships out on the battlefield. But what, what dawned on me is that really because, because of the way production works, anything can be produced in one place but sort of appear on the map somewhere else. I'm not sure if ships can, uh, but troops definitely can, and so can buildings, uh, where you can sort of have one facility build re- build these resources uh, to be deployed uh, somewhere completely different. Yeah, the um, it's it's essentially like a waypoint system where uh, you you start the building on the on on the production planet and then. Um, the, immediately that unit appears, but um, on, on the on the destination planet, but within like a hyperspace kind of graphic on its on yeah. its portrait, and then it takes a certain number of days to to reach that spot. But it's it's useful for things like uh, soldiers because then you're at least spared that first tr- like running a transport to that first location. Uh, but 
so but the th- but the thing that dawned on me uh too too late uh, as it happened uh in my in my campaign was that there's limited number of re- limited number of slots on planets and if you're smart you need some of those slots to be devoted to shields and anti-ship batteries uh, otherwise that planet needs a fleet overhead to protect it or, or it's a sitting duck and so there's this there's this this problem I sort of wrestle with where on the one hand the game wants you to sort of have that diaspora of 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 resources of infrastructure uh and that's easy for the AI to manage but for you to do it as the player you suddenly you suddenly have to be sort of going around all these different planets none of which can actually produce anything that efficiently or quickly and just like creating these build queues and then somehow like then once they're built converging all those new resources into some sort of useful format somewhere else right be it, be it a fleet be it an army uh whatever and the interface is such a nightmare uh it's it's <laughs> you know there's 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 lots of windows being popped open and sub windows and they're being dragged around the screen and some of them like love to open on top of each other but you need to click and drag things like from one to the other and you just imagine repeating that stuff that 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 stuff all the freaking time while the game is running constantly because it is it is a continuous time game you can't give orders while it's paused uh and so like there is a there is just a, an element of like physical limitation uh to this game because like Man. as it as it grows you are you are constantly just running from one crummy little planet to the next uh trying to figure out you know where you left that fleet where's that fighter squadron parked stuff like that i think that is probably i mean this game is incredibly janky when it when it comes to the ui and i think that's actually the reason why i find just you know to this day probably 90 percent of my playthroughs are, are empire playthroughs um because i think playing as the empire lends itself more to all of this stuff like i think when you are um you're trying to just build up your single planet that that just you know is manageable because there's so many things, so many other things that the the AI is doing, and then the AI because it's it's it, it has that ability to kind of be everywhere at all all times. Um, when that when the AI is playing the rebellion, I think it actually mimics the the behavior of the rebellion in a way. And also, as you say, Rob, the UI and the the interface itself is such a nightmare to manage that when I'm playing as the Empire, I actually kind of feel like, oh yeah, this is kind of what it would be like. <laughs> In yeah. the Empire. Like, this is kind of a nightmare <laughs> of just, like, systems and bureaucracy and just, like, people just constantly telling me that, like, a planet's being attacked and I'm just sitting here on my throne and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I feel like that's kind of what it would feel like to be, like, a moth in the Empire. Anyways. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, it's interesting that, you, you know, you're obviously not playing as the Emperor, you're not playing as Alpha, you're playing it as just, like, a system... Well, like a, a galaxy administrator, right? Because because if, if you kind of brought the stuff you bring, like oh, we built a new mine. If you brought that to the emperor, he'd just kill you on the spot. Because I don't care about the mine. <laughs> so this, I feel like it trained a generation of, of people as well to you know be able to deal with mobile phones and cell phones. Just like the amount of push notifications you get constantly, yeah. just saying <laughs> it's totally we've done. This, you're just trying to this. clear notifications. Just... <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's this that thing where like if I look at my phone now, if I've got a little red number somewhere, I'm like oh, I've got to get rid of it, got to get rid of it. it. Might be something important because you know I, I have to click every single thing. It's late game when you you know your, your rebel fleet's hovering over Coruscant, and you're trying to capture the Emperor or something like that. And it's like, oh, we built like a a mining or refinery facility on on some backwater planet. You just you don't care about it, but there's no real way to kind of get past it. 
Well, with and the way the UI is. you can adjust message settings, but the problem is they're really coarse grained. Uh, yeah. So you can just be like, don't tell me this. But the thing is, what I need is like, look, don't tell me this now, but I do need you to remind me in like 10 minutes that that mm-hmm. order filled and that it's out there. But I just, could you give me a minute? No, you, you just have to either have the notification where your droid, you're, it's, not, it's not just that the icon lights up in the corner, but your droid actually tells you. And so you oh, get this God. little like freaking pro, it's, it's 3PO, I think, if you're the Rebellion. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like sinister 3PO. If Evil you're the, 3PO, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're the Empire. But it's, it's, this, it's this little like uh, manservant uh, droid that's constantly like, uh, hey, a, a mine just finished. Oh, that facility's just complete. Ah, oh, that ship's built. Oh, we've got some bad news from the front. And just, but all of this, all of these, all these little barks are just firing one after the other. And it's like that I love Lucy conveyor belt sketch at times <laughs> where you're just like, hang on, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create a fighter wing here. Oh, it's such, it's murderous. And my, the only, you know, solace that I take when I lose as playing the Empire is that you know the droids are going to explode as well? You know that, that at least at least those bastards are are, are going to get it because oh god that I, I can hear his voice now as we're talking. You know just oh I have to look up his name for this. He's IMP twenty two, and I've forgotten <laughs> that he was. And his little his little spider friend is SD seven. But like I I kind of have a soft spot for just how like because he is just you know bizarro three PO. Like he's just so sassy the way he kind of talks to you and the way he. He gets increasingly more passive aggressive as things go on, but it's so easy as well because you get so annoyed with him to switch from you know you get so many notifications just saying really quite boring things you know I think a ship is finished or a mine is finished. It's really easy to also in that process lose. By the way, you've just had three advanced shipyards destroyed on Filbringi <laughs> or on like your major planet where you were planning to build your entire fleet, and you can you know click 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 all these away, and then oh. Yeah, I've lost. I have my my entire plans have changed now. Actually, I, I had it wrong. Actually, when you lose, I just remembered that guy actually kills you. What? Like he, I like I think he has the little like R two, the evil R two, just yeah. like assassinate you before you would have died anyway. That's that's how much of a friend he is. Anyway. He stands up on little spider legs. His, yeah, his that's legs, right. Spider legs are all over, and, he, and a blaster comes out from underneath, and he shoots. Yeah, it's you. like a Cronenberg movie. It's it's out of control. <laughs> Good God, that's horrifying! Uh, but I, and, and given the way my campaign is going, I, I suspect I'll get to see that animation uh, sooner rather than later. But, I just wish it was the same for for the rebels. Yeah, three PO pulls out a blaster and just is like, "I'm sorry," and shoots you with it as well. <laughs> yeah, alternate ending to the to the original trilogy. Uh, well, you know that is one thing. After the after the uh, a- after episodes one through three, the role of those droids does become a little more ambiguous and and potentially sinister. Uh, but then there, there's this other there's this other aspect that I want to bring up because this is where the game actually starts to remind me of one of my favorite board games uh, and sort of an official board game of Three Moves Ahead, uh, War of the Ring, uh, which I don't know if either of you have played that. Have you? Have you? I haven't. I haven't. Sorry. Okay, so War of the Ring is this uh, really fantastic uh, war game about the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. And it's sort of half card game, half um, like miniatures, uh, plastic miniatures war game, uh, where you have this great asymmetry where, you know, the forces of Mordor are trying to sort of take over uh, all the important like good guy capitals, you know, like Rivendell and, uh, you know, uh, Lothlorien. And then what the good guys need to do is really they just need to take a couple evil strongholds and sort of strangle this thing in the cradle. Or... 
they send their heroes, uh, you know, as the fellowship and destroy the one ring and end the war that way. And so what ends up happening in that board game is on the one hand, you're looking at the board and the state of play there and you've got conventional conflict playing out. You know, armies are drawn up. There's, you know, sieges happening. Uh, there's, there's troops being marshaled and, and reinforcements being raised. But then you also have, you know, basically the plot of the Lord of the Rings novels happening behind that, right? As, as card events uh, or as this little fellowship token that's moving around the map. And uh, it's kind of an interesting, like, way of, uh, it's sort of an interesting misdirection, because you think the entire, like, visually, the, the, the entire weight of the game is on this military campaign. Uh, but, as especially as, as Mordor, you have to be remembering, oh, wait, though, there's this, there's this freaking hobbits out there uh, with that ring. <laughs> and I really, need to, I really need to deal with that. Oh, but wait, first I'm just going to invade. First I'm just going to invade Gondor. And then the hobbits. Then I'll deal with it. Uh, and I feel like there's a little bit of that going on in this game as well, because there are all these characters and especially on the Imperial side. Yeah. A lot of them are sort of these sort of gray anonymous line officers uh, who are just there to sort of manage your fleets. But the rebels, uh, you know, have all the, all the heroes of, of the story, but there are some really important plot events uh, that sort of tie into what those heroes do in the movies and what their relationships are with each other. Uh, and, and things that can actually really profoundly affect the the, the course of the game, uh, but it's not. It's easy to forget that's there because you're playing a you know forex strategy game in some ways, right? You're managing production, you're sending fleets around, uh, but then you need to remember that as the empire, your right hand man, your most deadly unit, uh, can has a has it, it, it has, is is looking for his son possibly. Uh, and that's something that's that can sort of change the change the game, and I, and I find that an interesting I find an interesting aspect of this game. I'm not sure it I'm not sure it succeeds brilliantly, uh, but but it, the attempt is there. And I'm curious what you guys thought of that, especially with uh, Luke and Darth Vader, because you know obviously they are super powerful. They're incredibly powerful characters that can do do incredible things. Because so because you can send your characters down to maybe start rebellions or sabotage things and. You know, fight other characters. They have an array of things they can do. But Luke and Vader spend half a you know half a game just doing their own thing. They're like, oh, by the way, I'm off on a mission now. So I was going to use you for this, but I guess I have to use you know some random no name instead for this super important mission because you apparently want to go and hang out with Oda on Dagobah instead. But it's I think like the importance of of the missions is, especially when you first play it, the importance of the characters is definitely underplayed, and you takes it takes quite a few playthroughs before you can realize what you can actually do with these people. Yeah, I had the same kind of um, uh, experience where I just, a few is probably understating in my case. I probably played this game for years without really understanding the importance of the characters. I mean, there's sort of the superficial things they can do, but then also, um, you know, just just the idea that some characters are force sensitive and you can, you know, basically turn them into powerful, you know, more powerful characters by investing their time in, you know, Jedi training and you need a Jedi to do that and all these things, you know, there's more nuance to it than you think. Um, I, I mean, I agree uh, with all of you that it's, it's really, you know, it is, it is uh, not quite as robust as you, as you want. Um, but then also part of that is the game doesn't really do a good job of teaching you exactly what the extent of these things are. Like, like even just the idea that some characters um, you need to, 
uh, task them with improving your schematics for for ship upgrades and things. Even that is a little bit hidden um, and and not quite as clear as you as you want it to be. And so I think um, it's sort of twofold. Where I, I wish the game did a better job explaining you know what the what what you could do with each character, or at least you know kind of driving you to do those things. And then I and then I also wish that there were just more you know there was just more to do with it. I think generally the just the, the fact it doesn't tell you anything is probably a big problem. Like, as you, Rob said before, the 197-page manual to read, which is you know, <laughs> fairly dense already because you're not looking at very much beyond functionally a spreadsheet beyond, that's got a galaxy map. And the, the the characters are probably the least explained thing of an entire galaxy that's not explained at all. So you just have to be like, well, I've got Han Solo. Where should I put him? Yeah, and the feedback even, like, on the missions you send them on, like you just kind of get an up or down uh, result. Yeah, that worked. No, that didn't work. Right. But it doesn't like at no point does it really explain. Okay, well your character had these odds because it had you know your character's relevant stat for this kind of mission was this, and here were the the modifiers. No, game doesn't tell you any of that. You got to go to the manual. And also, cruel irony, uh, the the manual uh, in the good old the good old games. The, the, I'm sorry, it's not good old games anymore. It's it's gog. Uh, dot com uh the the manual in that is a pdf but it's a pdf of a photo scan of the original manual so it's completely <laughs> unsearchable so you just you just have to go to the table of contents and oh, then just, just like page down through it until you find what you're looking for you i need to read the whole thing i mean we should we should almost spend two seconds talking about how difficult it is or has been to play this game i mean i have my original cd but then you know i don't know where that is now but just you know I wish, you know, it's on GOG now, um, and so I went to play it for this podcast, and there's this crazy bug where on Windows 8 and Windows 10 systems now, all of the GIFs, uh, you know, basically anything that's a sprite in the game is now completely flipped 180. Uh, <laughs> and so everything is upside down. And and I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I loaded the game up. I went, is this, what is happening? Like, I've never seen anything like this before, but even going way back, you know, like way back five or six years since um, this game is, it was just, you know, uh, I wouldn't even say it was a cult hit. It was, it was so forgotten and, and just getting a hold of a copy, um, you know, past my original copy that I lost was, was difficult. And, and yet, and yet I will say that um, there's still, you know, as of uh, a couple of years ago, to, to my knowledge, there was a decent, tiny, tiny community supporting this game. I never played any of the mods or anything, but I know that that stuff was out there, and I was always really surprised and, and glad that, that you know other people had kind of caught on to it. Wait, so were the sprites flipped on the battlefield, on the tactical battles, or just everywhere? Oh, just everywhere. You know, okay. just even on the main menu. Okay, I didn't have that happen. Oh God, it's it's apparently uh, very common, and, okay. and it's actually kind of tricky to fix. It's really weird. My my favorite kind of super specific bug for ages, though, because it's just like, how did that happen? How did it end up yeah. being 180 <laughs> Just turn your monitor around, I guess, and play it through. So it really in, is a notable bug. In any of your games, did you ever have the final battle uh, endgame trigger? Um, you mean the... Uh, the the, the Battle of Endor, Luke, Vader, Emperor, all in one place. Uh, the battle for Vader's soul... Uh, that kind of like like because that that is an end game that can happen. You can basically have the the end of Jedi uh, wow. play out in this game, at least according to the manual. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. So many hundreds of hours, and I had no idea that was even in it. I'm trying to think. The only like I've only it's the same thing. I've been playing this for for decades, well, a decade and a bit. But like I think I'm finished it as in finished it, finished it maybe 
10 times and each of those times <laughs> I just ended up having, hovering a fleet over you know <laughs> over Coruscant or over wherever the rebel base was and just pretty much destroying it and just saying okay well that's done now now I'm in charge yeah so apparently I was reading the manual because uh, I remember this was in there uh, and I'd done some steps of it years and years ago but never really seen it to the end to the end but apparently uh so the first time vader and luke end up in the same place you get the empire strikes back and the manual's really coy about it. i guess the manual's worried about spoilers in 1998 for <laughs> for for uh empire strikes back because the the manual is just like if if darth vader and luke skywalker are in the same location simultaneously luke will learn troubling informa- information about his parents and will require several months to heal and reflect on what he's learned. <laughs> but then apparently once but that starts that that's what start apparently starts the clock for this this potential uh alternate end game where Luke can then train up uh and become a more powerful Jedi and he really should uh cuz the next time he faces Vader uh, I guess like it turns into a sort of struggle for uh, Vader's soul, and Vader can end up, I think, possibly like, you know, sort of turning against the Empire. But I think that's also tied really specifically to a final battle endgame, uh, where you have the em- Emperor like under direct attack from a Rebel fleet with Luke Skywalker, and Vader is also there, and then boom. Uh, you get the end of Return of the Jedi in Rebellion. Weird. Yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, like I've I, I definitely played it so they both been in the same place and had the because I remember the Empire splash the Empire Strikes Back splash screen when they're fighting in the Carbonite Chamber. But I've I've also had it before as well. I think on the second time they met where Vader's just killed Luke. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. He's well, not the second back. the second time, yeah. If Luke is not strong enough, uh, mm. Vader will will just kill him. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but I've never seen because, uh, and I think the reason it, uh, this ends up not working is because the problem is the game is just too damn big, and yeah. your characters are basically pawns you're moving around the board, and so really you have to think of it as like, <laughs> this is the weirdly realistic part, right? Where like, okay, so you're in this fictional universe where, if all the improbable things that happened in the movies actually like sort of happen again here randomly, <laughs> then you will get the outcome of the movies. But chances are you're going to be playing a traditional like like war game, and so you're like, what are the odds that the Empire's like you know top uh you know agent of terror uh, Vader will end up in the same place as like the Rebels' greatest like starfighter commander and you know nascent Jedi Knight? Probably pretty low, and so the odds of them encountering each other repeatedly and and having all this unfold are pretty bad because both of you are, are too busy playing this like this war game uh but that but but the trilogy is in there and the their events waiting to trigger it's just it 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 requires a lot of luck for that to happen it seems as well like the books make a big point about the fact that um, the emperor and vader try not to be too close together a lot of the time because you know it's like people who have secret recipes don't get on planes together in case the plane goes down because no one else will know what it is so if if you take out the emperor's top i mean obviously it happens but you take out the top two people in the empire then that's kind of a bad idea so you, you, as a commander it makes sense to have you know vader off doing things and the emperor off doing things as well or suppressing rebellions or seated on coruscant to kind of push up the production or something like that 
Yeah, this this game really teaches you uh, that the the central problem in any Star Wars film, uh, and really in life, is just don't build a big base. And then it makes you build big bases because that's the only way to play this game. Yeah. No, I need I need I need like three giant shipyards because I just don't have the <laughs> bandwidth for like twenty small ones. Yeah, yeah. no one does. It's impossible. <laughs> you end up having these kind of like at least in every playthrough I had, it would end up with some. Yeah, interesting kind of counterfactual history where you know some major character Han Solo or Luke would die or, or would go off and they'd be so important that I didn't have time to send them off on their Jedi training or anything like that and it would end up being you know some random dude like Admiral Ozzel or you know, some Garandan that kind of the, the crew powers guy with a big nose who informs them and talks like a wiki toy but like he becomes a Jedi and he, he, they find out he has force powers and he ends up you know, almost taking the mantle of Luke he becomes the most powerful general he becomes incredibly powerful combat character and it's just like what would have happened if instead of it being Luke Skywalker that beat the Empire at the end, it was it was just another another person, someone else from from the film scene. Admiral Ozzel, Jedi Knight. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's like pudgy middle-aged guy waving a lightsaber around. And it's I, I think it's kind of interesting that you especially if you are a massive Star Wars nerd like I was and I still am, you, you build up these kind of counterfactual issues, which is what now as well that has happened. Now with Disney has retired the the previous expanded universe and made it legends in inverted commas this is you forging your own legends as well so. mm-hmm. no i love i love the way this game both uh you know accurately in some ways reflects the sort of star wars universe and then completely subverts it or allows you to subvert it it's uh it's both entertaining and um and actually just still kind of fascinating really yeah, and you know, I think playing it now, I'm like, I I, I missed the boat because there's there's so much more here than that than I really gave gave it credit for, uh, and, and it is just an incredibly long game, uh, and I, I think that's another reason that uh, you know I never really saw that many that many games through to the end. I may, maybe just one, uh, but the the other element is I think, and this is another reason why I was so pissed at this game at the time was that. On paper, it was sort of my dream game. Like, oh, wow, like, huge fleets doing battle, and you can command the fleets. Uh, but then also you're commanding the entire war effort at a galactic level. That sounds great. And especially if you think about the production values of other Star Wars games uh, that are sort of contemporaries or predecessors uh, of this game. And then here comes Rebellion with these, like, you know, really, really, like, low-res, low like, sprite graphics. Uh, the, the battles take place in a little wireframe cube. Uh, yeah, please, you, Rob, those are 3D assets. Be fair. You know, we've got four <laughs> polygons on screen. I mean, give it, give it, give it some... The fu- give, it, give it its day. The, the fighters are sprites. <laughs> Oh, and the that, fighters are sprites. You're right. Yes, yeah. you have a little, yes, they're like, two pixel wide sprites. Yeah, you got little little X wings and A wings, just sort of like yeah. zipping around. Like, yeah, it's it it looks yeah. it's it's kind of terrible. Uh, commanding <laughs> fleets are is pretty bad. Like, uh, did, did either of you get anything out of like you know putting on your admiralty hat and and, and dealing with taking care of business? Uh, you know yourself. I don't think I ever finished a fight in that mode. I think every time I, if every time I tried to start, I think I think I'm going to do it this time. Because yeah, you play something like Homeworld, you're like, I'm definitely like a, an amazing military tactician in 3D space. And then you get to that, and you're like, I have no idea really what to do here beyond just hurl my forces forwards. And every time I just like, auto it, auto kind of resolve it because it made just almost a difference seemingly. Homeworld I'm is t- only one year after this game. 
Oh god. So I mean just this tragic. is what this is what I mean. We're we're talking about like, you know, the graphics of this game. Like this it's is It's really amazing. The the fact that you have to just click an arrow to slowly <laughs> like move the camera ten degrees on oh rotation axis. Like it's unbelievable how bad that mode is. And even just from top to bottom, the experience of moving a ship or anything <laughs> is so just I don't even like I mean, really, it's just it's just uh, attack commands is the whole yeah. uh, component. But then you can get in these weird scenarios where if you have a ship that has really strong shields, um, but very low attack, and then you have a ship on the other side that is somewhat similar, um, you can just sit there forever and no, none of like nothing is happening. Like they're just I mean, it's, it's it's a really weird like trench warfare thing that occurs where just no side is winning. And it's the most like by far the most boring space battle you could possibly conceive. It's the exact opposite of any Star Wars battle. Um, and, and so like, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's really an amazing uh, disaster when you, when you do a real time game, like the only, the only thing that that mode attempts to do well, I think is the, is sort of the Death Star gambit. And even that is just not done very well. But if you have the Death Star in battle, it is represented. You can use it to target other ships. Um, and then there is a fighter uh, die roll where if you have fighters, I think you might need Luke to do this as well. I can't remember. I haven't done it in a while, but I don't know if you guys remember. But and you then wedge as well. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's just maybe just a hero that is a fighter pilot, and then you can sort of roll the dice to see whether or not you're going to blow it up that way. But it's just really not well done at all. And I'm playing, you know. You know oh, go go ahead, Rich. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, you know, it's bad when when the kind of nineteen seventies UI in the movies looks like infinitely better than the actual game. Like... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now I'm I'm playing right now the um, Star Wars Armada tabletop game with the miniatures, and uh, it's so well done, and it just it really does make me sad that they didn't, you know. I, I was going to say stick the landing, but there was no landing attempted when it when it comes to this thing. They they it was clearly the the, the you know an afterthought, and in a way, I think you're right, Rob, to bring it up. Um, you know, in terms of kind of the uh, underwhelming release of this game, because I think uh, it, it you know I mean particularly at that at that time in the industry, if you didn't if you weren't on sort of the cusp of of graphical fidelity, um, you know, people weren't very interested in what you were doing, and I think this game would have done, you know, it probably still wouldn't, wouldn't have been a, an instant classic or, or well-regarded by, uh, by Star Wars fans, but I think it would have, I think it would have done uh, much better had it, had it, uh, had they spent another six months on that mode, because it just really, it really is the thing you would put on the back of the box. And it, it's just not a good, not a good uh, face. Uh, Nick, I'm curious, cause you brought it up a couple times during the show. You said uh, Empire at War actually ends up bringing some of these ideas back, which I've never played Empire at War. It's just kind of this weird gap in my knowledge. Um, <clears throat> my understanding was that was, I mean, it's petroglyph. My understanding was, was a, a more traditional RTS with a uh, maybe a strategic layer, but by and large, it's it's sort of an, an RTSE kind of game. And I didn't figure, I didn't think there there would be much way for this to be similar at all uh to, to rebellion how how does rebellion sort of trickle down uh into that later game it kind of just you know moves the needle um in terms of in terms of what it's uh um trying to do closer to that real time battle um category and and and, and therefore the strategy se segment you know sort of suffers the same fate that the real time battles suffer in rebellion um you know but it does really 
to me, it felt like they must have played a lot of Rebellion before they before they went about designing that game because it does kind of have that same core world outer rim um, dichotomy, and and you it, and and really it does feel similar. And you know that game had a lot of different modes and different ways you could play it. But I you know in in sort of the traditional Empire Re- Rebellion scenario, it did have the same kind of uh, feeling where you start kind of on the outer rim as the Rebellion, and uh, and and the Empire is in the core worlds, and it it sort of if you squint a little bit and and uh, realize that it's just inevitably less complex, it it kind of has a similar feeling to what to what Rebellion was trying to do. But um, for sure, those guys spent much more money and time on on that RTS um, uh, component and and the strategy elements, while kind of thematically similar, are just not attempting the level of fidelity that Rebellion uh, is. I mean, you can send out probe droids and finding and landing on planets and bombarding them, and all these things are in there. Um, but it's just it kind of lacks the, um, I guess, just absurdity of what Rebellion is. You know, it's it just it feels a little bit more funneled in terms of what um, the way a game plays out. And part of that too is that it just doesn't have the the scale. It doesn't have as large of a map. It doesn't have um, uh, you know as many units or characters and et cetera, et cetera. So. Mm, it feels like Empire War builds towards, you know, almost a tank rush, like a space battle somewhere yeah. where you can roll roll your status rows in and, and win the day. Everything's geared towards that. Well, that's the other thing. It has it has highways, you know, it has uh, clear connection points between, um, like, trade right. points between planets that you have to follow. And, uh, you know, if you applied that same mechanic to Rebellion, you might get something that feels somewhat similar. But I'm, I'm, I, I do think uh, that feeling of of being able to zip around the galaxy and kind of um, uh, fight that guerrilla war is what makes Rebellion so interesting, and I think I think that's that's one of the reasons why I, I still go back to that and and just you know barely played Empire. It's definitely much more like top line. I think the Crusader Kings like comparison is particularly apt because there's a lot of Crusader King kind of gives you what you not necessarily even what you need to know. It gives you what you do know, but mm. it obfuscates a lot of stuff from you that you, you know you can't ever necessarily know i think rebellion does similar but at the same time in the years since like things like research and things like success in sabotage missions it's, it's been a lot more codified by strategy games like in civilization if you want to research you put more scientists on research and you can do that with people like where drab malakbar you can set them to research starfighters or set people to research things slightly faster but there's no kind of like general bar of research there's no like be able to say i'm going to devote more time to research and you just get advances at almost not random intervals but at intervals that you should get them basically with them coming slightly faster if you spend a lot more time like using your characters for that instead of more important missions and i think having that kind of stuff codified and you know the success of a mission like if you're playing strategy game now and you realize that one of your characters can do something it'll give you 33 percent chance or 67 percent chance or whatever that mission will be successful whereas this is just literally han solo can probably destroy a base on his own i think i'll try that and see what happens <laughs> and then you know han solo comes body comes back or he gets captured or something like that and there's there's no way of being able to say this will be successful and i'm not sure whether that i mean obviously it's kind of a difference in game design that has changed in the last 10 15 years but then again if you are a commander how do you know the percentage chance of somebody being successful on a mission you're not a robot you are just a person who's saying well go and try this and see what happens so yeah yeah no it's interesting because while rob was talking about that and i, I was thinking well god if, if there was a percentage chance on these things 
you know, it probably would completely change the way the game is played. But yeah, you might be right, Rich, that, that in fact, it, it is a strength rather than a weakness, or at least something that makes it unique, right? Like, I, and, and it is, it is in some ways, yeah, more true to, 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 to you know, the way that that would feel in, in real warfare. I guess it's kind of game design versus fidelity. But in Crusader Kings, it kind of works because you don't have all the information. Whereas I think Rebellion War is kind of a different line. It's, it's putting you, you've got almost all the information. You've got the entire galaxy at, at, you know, obviously at your fingertips. But I think, you know, I mean, it's a game design difference that I think if they could do it now, they might have changed. But Yeah, I think, like, yeah, because in Crusader Kings, you know, the odds of a given like action having a you know you know you know the odds of a given action having success but you also know that to skew those odds requires pulling all these other levers and setting these other schemes in motion uh that will then that will then change those odds and so then that that odds number becomes a generator for a a bunch of uh new and interesting situations uh to arise whereas rebellion is 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 much simpler and so i think that that obfuscation really ends up serving the game well because it i strongly suspect the reality is just a pretty simple like this character's relevant stat is this we're going to slam it into this situation we're going to roll the dice see what happens uh and so you don't really have more i think than than probably just a okay this character has a 50 50 chance do you want to do this or not uh so i suspect like the reality is probably a, a, a little dismal uh, but because you know so little about how any of it is actually working or how it's being calculated in this game, you end up just doing things like, eh, Darth Vader's kind of a badass. I think he could, <laughs> it seems like Darth Vader yeah. could probably deal with this. Exactly. Yeah, no, you just, it, it's kind of like, well, I guess if I got a fleet together and put all my heroes in it, it's probably going to win, right? I mean, that's how it happened in the movie. I guess yeah, I'll works, just see. Works in real yeah. life. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's funny. It, you, 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 I really still yeah, have no idea how any of this stuff works, uh, on a fine tooth level. Um, I, you know, I, I, th there are stats that you can look at, but in terms of what that is, you know, weighed against, there's really no way to sort of manually calculate it. Or if there is, it's, it would just take so long that you would never do it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it does, it does kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's very strange um, but at the same time, it, I, it, that part has never really bothered me. And no. I guess, you know, having talked to you guys, I think it actually, if it wasn't that way, I probably, it probably would become almost too mechanical, you know? Mm. Definitely mystery. There's definitely mystery to kind of a galaxy. And you realize that, yeah. like, although I played this for 50, 15 years and I'd like, I feel like when I first started, I didn't know what I was doing. And now I feel like I know what I'm doing, but I'm actually looking at the things that I've learned since then. And there's not really very much information that I have. I know. I can click things to make people do stuff, but that, the menu options are there at the beginning. Like I know that that I can sabotage, or at least aim to sabotage mines or refineries, that kind of thing. But I knew that at the beginning as well. Like I haven't actually learned much new about how it actually works. I just feel more confident in doing the thing. Well, I, I love games that, you know, for better or worse, and usually they're not particularly well, um, you know, usually they're games that have the the corners that aren't, you know, they're still hard edged and rough and everything just sort of feels a little funky. Um, but I, 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 lo I, I love the mystery of that. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've got in my head a half a dozen games that, you know, I just absolutely loved and really never quite understood how they worked, you know, like, um, one of the ones this is a, a weird tangent, but just like, 
a lot of people actually have this where they played the original EverQuest and it yep. was such a strange game. Um, and I, I never quite, as much as I played it, I never really understood its mechanics or how it worked or what I was trying to do. And yet I still, there's just something about that. And I think, I think Rebellion is really the same way for me where it's just, it's, it's large enough. And, and, and at the same time, you know, the superficial elements are satisfying and I, I don't, I'm, st- you know, I, I wouldn't say that, yeah, I'm not learning anything as I play so much as I just am kind of delighted by how strange it is. I, it's, it's a very odd strategy game to discuss, actually. <laughs> I think, I think as well at the moment, it's come from a, we're at a time where we, I think probably generally the gaming community has more, more time for these kind of slightly, slightly mm. hard edge things because we're, we used to, you know, indie games, strategy games that come out, have, have a kernel of a great idea. And maybe they're not as polished as they would have been, you know, mid-2000s if they'd been a major studio releasing them. But there's a great idea there, and you're willing to kind of forgive any, like, smaller mistakes. And if you like, going back and playing this again now, and I, I play every couple of years, and I play again for this podcast, but, like, it doesn't feel that different from, from you know, Neptune's Pride was, was kind of touchstone you mentioned before. Not in the same regard in, in the way you play it, but just the fact that you're just looking at a screen, you're looking at you're moving objects around the screen. You're not really expecting kind of vast visual flourishes or anything like that, or you're not expecting the entire galaxy. You have you have a space that you can operate in, and you know what you can do in that space. And it feels still quite, not necessarily modern, but playable, definitely today. Yeah, I think actually it helps that it's kind of out of time now, uh, which, again, like that context of it's 1998, uh, games are starting to, like, you know, graphical advances are happening very quickly. Uh, Star Wars games are always on that cutting edge. Uh, and then this game looks like it's a few years out of date. Now, that context is sort of lost. And so it just sort of looks more like, it actually looks more like a contemporary of uh, the original XCOM, right? Uh, despite coming mm. years and years later. But uh, the the thing is, it does have a much better interface than... You know, it has a much better interface than a lot of games that it looks like. And so in some ways, it feels like weirdly intuitive and modern. It's 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 a hell of a lot easier to manage than a lot of other old clunky strategy games. Uh, so it, it seems a little, you know, in some ways, like, despite appearances, it's actually easier to get into now. Uh, than I than I expected it would be, and because I don't have that context, now I'm having this reaction where it's like, oh, this isn't this isn't so bad. Like this is this holds up way better than than a lot of other games. Not remembering that it's from 1998 and not like 1993, like it appears to be. Uh, but it, like losing that context now, it, it just sort of stands off, you know, by itself, and you can just sort of engage with it, uh, you know, on its own terms. And it's still, you know, it's still a weird game. It's it, it's still kind of an ugly game, but you know now uh, because of that different context and because I have a lot more years of, like you said, Rich, like playing weirder strategy games uh, that that sort of don't always work or or or, or have really odd uh, mechanics that that you know take a while to pick to pick up. Uh, now Rebellion kind of you know fits. You know, it kind of fits into that category, and I can sort of appreciate appreciate it for for all the things it it does right that so few strategy games ha- have tackled. Hmm. It's definitely sort of like the power of the power of pixel art. I mean, I I went back to kind of look at games that came off Star Wars games that came after. And you're playing the Phantom Menace that came out in ninety nine two thousand, and that kind of the three D over the shoulder 
be chasing around <laughs> Obi-Wan and Quirrell. Oh my god, that game. Like, oh. you, you look at the comparison, like the idea of making this, like you say, it's, it's still ugly. Like, Rebellion is still not a pretty game, but it's, it's held up a lot better than, you know, the next 10 years of Star Wars games we would have done. You know, the one game that I, I wanted to go back and play before this podcast that I didn't have the time to uh, is Master of Orion 2 which I know, um, and I don't know if you guys have played that, but I know that some of the mechanics are similar. Uh, and I really wanted to go back and take a look at that game and see what, you know, kind of, you know, get, do just do a base comparison. Because I, I, even in that game, I can remember that you have the ability to destroy a planet. And I'm sure the Rebellion devs probably looked at that game quite a bit, mapped it to, to what they were trying to do and, and took some things. And I'd, I'd be really interested to see what that, um, you know, how that game holds up. Because when you're talking about these games that that came before um and how how rebellion still kind of holds up uh you know i remember going and, and, and playing master of orion 2 around the time that rebellion came out and and just you know there were things about it that i just it, you know i couldn't really get into master of orion and i know people love that game but um yeah rebellion you know for all its faults um it does it does have you know <laughs> outside of the real-time you know battle system um it is playable and it is it does it does have you know yeah today on a, on a modern squint test it 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 does god it's hard to say but it, it hold i think it holds up yeah i, I think it does it's you got weird like futuristic touches you wouldn't see for years like you can have there's little tabs on the left hand side of the screen where yeah. you can like save tabs and you wouldn't see that come up until like sins of a solar empire like 12 years right. later it's interesting to look at a time before 4x kind of calcified and into you know, being what 4x was like, well, for is now, I guess, games like Galaxy and things like that, where you expect certain things from it. Whereas this is a time when, you know, it, it, this isn't a, like, Rebellion is an RTS, technically, but at the same time, there's, there's elements of 4X stuff that, like you say, won't come in for years yet and won't necessarily be adopted yet because it was this kind of weird, almost immediately forgotten game that people didn't, didn't like because it didn't capture everything. Whereas now you can kind of appreciate it for the things that it did do, the smaller things that it did do. I am really curious what playing it multiplayer uh, would be like. I can I, mean, oh, wow. I imagine it's excruciating, but <laughs> at the same time, I'd be really fascinated to see how two humans playing this game uh, would match up. I never did it. Did, did either of you? I don't no, think I, I did. Mean, oh, yeah. I was I was I was sort of stunned to see the option uh, there. I was like, wait, this had this had a multiplayer option because hell, I didn't remember that at all. And I can't imagine committing to that game uh, with, you know, with someone. It's like asking someone to marry you. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, coming to the end of this, end of this topic, I, I think, you know, I've really, I've really done a 180 on this game and, and, and feel kind of bad about my, my comments years and years ago. Because uh, now I'm like, it's one of the best like insurgency counterinsurgency games uh, ever made for the PC. Uh, there's there's so few games that that have actually sort of tried to attempt to to sort of model this kind of conflict and create these kind of dynamics. Uh, you know, and and coming to it now, uh, we're we're in a landscape so dominated by like four X games that all tell the same story, right? Of like start from a from one planet or one town and and 
build an empire to, to be playing a game that's really like no the, the, the you already know what the world the galaxy looks like you already know who your enemy is uh, but you know it's it's can you survive the hunt or can or can you successfully like drain the swamp and corner your enemy uh, and and sort of win on uh, you know fight a war on all these different like prongs of like hearts and minds and direct conflict and uh, using hero units there, there's nothing else like it and so now I'm, I'm you know I've been playing it this week and, and thinking like damn this game's like this game was a secret this game was a secret success yeah I'm interested Rob to, to know like because. I guess, I guess me and Nick have played it so much that we kind of have an insight into... Because it, it does have so many idiosyncrasies and the strange controls and the strange things that you just have to know you can do. Is that stuff... Is it pick upable now? Can can you kind of get your head around it these days that you can do all these things? Or is it do you still need to, you know, read the 197 pages before you begin? No, you're going to... like for, Okay, so this is exactly what the arc was for me. Um, I remember just enough uh, to, to sort of get into it. Uh, it took a while to figure out things like... Uh, just like there's things like you know where like you have to right click on things but you have to right click in the right place on the icon and there's all sorts of things that just require a lot of like sort of groping uh with the interface to sort of figure out how it's going to work uh but really i i didn't read the the manual what i read was probably like 12 paragraphs out of that manual that explained really critical concepts there were there there were places in the game where i was like i have no idea what's going on here like damaged ships like i just had like a, i just had a jacked up star destroyer and i was like is that is that cool just, like can i is it on fire forever now? yeah can i it's like going to mechanic right like well can i drive home in this <laughs> like stuff like that and so i'd like save the game exit out uh try and fail to do a text search on the pdf and then remember it's a photo and uh and, and go and look for the the relevant section uh but yeah, no, most of it I was able to sort of figure out by trial and error. And uh, the rest of it, I always knew when I'd approach, when I'd hit something where I was like, I don't know how this works. I wonder if the manual addresses this. And usually the table of contents like had a heading that was directly like related to my question, right? Like, hey, uh, fixing damaged ships. Okay, I'll go look at that. So, I mean, it was, it was actually a pretty easy game to get back into. What caught me off guard was that it's a harder game than I remembered. Like, even as I started to figure things out, what I, what, what I hadn't figured out and what requires experience is uh, just how the game works, right? You know, if you're, if you're sort of trying to consolidate territory, uh, your enemy's going to be out there, uh, you know, seducing planets away from your cause and, uh, you know, hitting undefended installations. And that was, that was stuff that took me a long time to figure out how the, how the game worked, but once I did, I, I adapted. Yeah, it's it's a very unforgiving game, but um, you know you, you can you can go through several playthroughs not really quite knowing what you're doing and then be absolutely crushed. Um, but I think you know to people who haven't played it, I would say that you know I was I guess I would echo what you were what you were talking about, um, Rob, which is that there are so many games that 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 are yes, sort of the the very straightforward um, you know be they RTS games or or grand strategy games that are just these very straightforward war games, and I think. Um, and in some ways, I think this is due to the license or just like licensed games in general. I think when when you have licensed strategy games, it it kind of gives the developer a chance to take the strength of that property and do something that's somewhat unexpected. Like uh, this is a weird tangent, but I think um, 
so the, the recent uh, like Hitman Go or, or like those Go spinoffs and, and things like this where, where you have a chance to take an IP and do something very different with it. And, um, y- you know, a lot of Star Wars games back then were, were, were very rote Star Wars experiences. But I think this game in particular did something really, really interesting. And I think it definitely is worth going back and, and, and looking at even even if you're not into I would say even if you're not into, into strategy games in general um, or grand strategy games, rather, like complicated strategy games. I would say that if you're, even if you're just somebody who is a Star Wars fan or, or somebody who thinks they might, you know, want to try and get into it. Yes, it's, infor- it's unforgiving, but I think, I, I, I think, I, I have faith that, you know, if I can get it as a 12 year old and, and pick it up that, that, um, that, that, you know, uh, uh, you know, people listening to this podcast would be able to, uh, to get into it. I think once you do, I think you realize that, you know, it, it is a game that, that keeps on giving, or at least, hopefully, it has because I've played it for twenty years. Mm. I think as well, like Star Wars fans, definitely, I'd recommend it just purely because it is. Yeah. It's so Star Warsy compared to. I mean, you always have that point in a Star Wars game where it kind of breaks down and it becomes a game about you know a game with Star Wars. Mm. Like you end up shooting just hundreds of people, or you know, Force Unleashed has. It just it goes from being it's a game of force powers rather than a Star Wars game because it doesn't fit the universe. You don't. You're not supposed to be this kind of person who's constantly throwing hundreds of stormtroopers off things and, and a lot of other a lot of other games are a similar kind of thing you know every star wars game has a point even empire at war has a point where you're just like well, it doesn't feel very star wars anymore it just feels like a, a space strategy game with a star wars skin whereas rebellion stays you you maintain that like you said before obviously the fact you can actually have the ending of return of the jedi in the game like that is even to the very last bit, it's stayed committed to the Star Wars cause, and it, it has that sensation, it has the music, it has the droids chatting at you constantly. You always know where you are. You don't feel like, oh, I'm just playing a strategy game. You feel like you are still in the Star Wars universe all the way through, and I think that's something that will appeal, let's say, to fans who maybe aren't necessarily grand strategy fans, but fans of Star Wars as a series. Yeah, uh, so uh, Star Wars Rebellion is, I think, just $6 on GOG right now, and you know, I think the last thing I'd say is if a game like this or even this game uh, came out this year, I think it would be on the short list of a lot of strategy uh, writers mm. for, you know, game of the year or at least like fascinating, fascinating experiment uh, because it really is just one of it's just a really unique thing uh, that I've that I've played this year that I can't I can't find many games that have operated in the same territory. And so for me, it's it's kind of been like unearthing and and unfairly forgotten and and, and unfairly maligned, uh, you know, work of uh, work of innovation. Uh, so I I highly recommend picking it up and uh, see, seeing what all this fuss is about and seeing why uh, Nick and Rich have been playing this this odd, ugly little game for apparently most of their adult <laughs> lives. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that will do it for this week's episode of Three Moves Ahead, which is produced by Michael Hermes and hosted by the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at threemovesahead.net. I should also mention that, along with host Danielle Riendo, I now appear on a podcast called Idle Weekend, which is a sort of East Coast weekend companion piece to Idle Thumbs. It's not purely a video game podcast, but it's more of an after-hours conversation about various issues in games and culture. Uh, it's still a work in progress, but I hope you'll give it a listen as I get to take a break from discussing my main jobs, strategy games and esports. Uh, this week, for instance, Danielle and I talk about what separates good reboots and, uh, from bad ones and whether or not a game design can be specific to a particular culture. 
I also make a shameful admission about my TV watching habits. Uh, but we'll be back next week with the final three moves ahead of 2015. Thanks for listening this year and for supporting us and me at a time when it was hugely important. Uh, I hope you'll stick with us next year as we embark on another winter of wargaming and a glorious year of strategy. Uh, until then, Nick, Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. This is Rob Zachney saying good night. <laughs>